Listen. Just listen. I'm Miles Pulaski, and you're listening to Second Story Podcast. Second Story is a hybrid performance series of stories, wine, and music, a collaboration among writers, actors, musicians, and others to create good stories and good times. The stories are written by the performers themselves, sometimes funny, sometimes poignant, always thought-provoking. And now, Second Story company member, Jay Adams Oaks. What I'm trying to say is, I, I remember this one time in 1992 when I lived in Madrid, Spain. I was 22 years old, and I thought being gay was both dangerous and radical. Back then, I smoked Marlboro Reds, drank till 5 a.m. as often as possible, and was very sure I knew how the world worked. One day, I called my parents to say that I had made a decision. I was going to marry a woman. I figured it's perfect for everybody, I explained. Really, I mean, like, Nuria, she gets her American passport, and then she can move to the States with her American girlfriend, and I can get my Spanish passport, and it's like a totally a win-win. Now, after 22 years of being my mother, my mom is well-practiced at answering statements like this. I see. My father, he was good at staying quiet until he figured out exactly what he needed to say. Yeah, so anyway, I continued. In two years, we'll get divorced, and it'll be a piece of cake. Heck, I think we could even have a wedding, you know, and get some presents. But Jeffrey, my dad finally said, you're willing to break the law? And before I could launch into my practice speech about political inequities between gays and straights, my mother stopped me. Jeffrey, I am surprised at you. You you can't believe, I can't believe that you would be willing to live another lie. And then suddenly, it's 2003. I thought being gay sucked shit. Because I was a 33-year-old single struggling writer slash bartender, dateless at my friend's union ceremony in the lobby of the Chicago Theater. I gritted my teeth the whole time Daniel and Peter stood under the chuppah at the foot of the grand staircase, crowded with 300 of their closest friends and family. I only felt a little better when I got to hear the wedding drama from Daniel. Apparently, Peter's mother had fought with the florist, and apparently, since no one could agree on a seating chart, poor Grandma Milla got stuck behind a pillar, and the caterers couldn't locate the people who'd requested vegan entrees. (laughs) Then, as the reception went on, I stood against the wall watching Daniel's family sneak out one by one, none of them really wanting to be there, none of them really approved. None of them really cared Daniel was with Peter, but they all cared that Peter wasn't a Jew. But then there's 1980. I was 10, and I thought gay people were like unicorns. (laughs) Mysterious, elusive, and rare. I was in San Francisco on a family trip and my dad was lecturing at Berkeley. I remember visiting Chinatown and buying a kite with my very own money. I remember this awesome Mexican restaurant where a crazy lady sat by herself dealing invisible cards to invisible people. And I remember I spent the whole trip looking around, my head constantly moving, my neck craning. Because back in Iowa, back at school, Mike Gardner had said, San Francisco? Gross, dude. That whole city's gay. And I knew gay meant two guys would kiss or hold hands. So I looked all over for two guys holding hands, just 
holding hands, and I never saw it. And then there was 2006. I was 36 and so tired of thinking about being gay. I was so tired of all the straights I knew thinking that I represented the gays. I was so tired of writing love poems for other people's weddings. So tired of watching a bazillion wedding proposals take place at the little romantic French restaurant where I worked. Like the man who hid the ring in his mouth because he wanted to marry a dentist. The woman who wrote her proposal on a dessert menu. And the guy who baked the ring into a cupcake, which, by the way, I do not recommend. And the ring in the flower, and the ring in the pocket, and then there's the squealing of joy we have to hear, and the tears we have to see, which are all really, really sweet and wonderful, no matter who receives the ring. Okay, so how about this? Um, in 1978, back in Iowa, when I was only eight years old, I thought the word gay was just that mean word you used on the playground when somebody butted in line for the slide. That year was the first time I noticed my parents holding hands. Not my first time noticing them flirt or tease or dance or hug or kiss. I was running through the state fair between tents in an open field just, behind my, just ahead of my little brother, Timmy. I turned to say I wanted cotton candy when I recognized my parents connecting, like really connecting, walking slowly, probably as slowly as possible, hand in hand. I really like that. In 1995, I was 25 and thinking, gay, shmay, what is the big deal, you know? I was in the Twin Cities for Margaret and Tracy's union ceremony at their Buddhist temple, which was this little plain yellow house. And the two of them stood in, the fr in front of the head monk in his saffron robes, and it felt like a regular old marriage, you know, with in-laws and big bonnets and pastel dresses and khaki pants, a procession, a sweet ceremony with music and two, a reading or two, and the love, I guess. I mean, I don't mean to be rude, but what I thought at the time was, what's the big deal? Or, or how about 1994 in New York City? I'm 24 and scrawny, all elbows and knees, and still styling my hair like I did in high school with it parted on one side. And I thought being gay was awesome. I remember I was in my very first long-term relationship, three and a half years in actually, only six months away from it crumbling. But right then, I was so in love and so insecure. I was at my first gay pride parade, and it was the anniversary of the 1969 Stonewall Riot. Just picture it, a tiny, discreet gay bar in, on Christopher Street called the Stonewall Inn, full of folks having a drink to mourn the death of Judy Garland when the cops raid. People get pissed off. The drag queens start throwing bottles. And the next day, news spreads across the country that gay people stood up for their rights. And so there I was in 1994, working really hard to feel that pride. I carried the edge of a mile-long rainbow flag that buckled and billowed and stretched right into Central Park. 
my very first boyfriend was right in front of me, so beautiful and starry-eyed and happy. And that was really when I formed the idea for the very first time. I had never pictured what a future with this guy might be. Before then, I'd always had a ridiculous feeling of a fantasy. But that day was when the idea bloomed from the vague haze of possibility into shapes of tuxedos and rings and a cake and a home and a crib and a bottle and a dog and all that crap. All while I was being yanked through a massive cheering crowd by a flag that connected millions of us together and I held on as tight as I could, hoping, hoping I wouldn't lose my grip. And sometimes, I think about this one particular time last Christmas Eve, 2007. I was 37 and my whole family was at my brother's house around the kitchen table in North Carolina. My sister-in-law, Kim, loves board games, checkers and clue and cribbage. And then suddenly this box is pulled out and everybody's reminding you the rules to the game of life. I couldn't remember playing it as a kid. Everybody's voices mixed together with the instructions. And then you spin and you move and it's like you're driving a little car and if you stop here, you get money and this is where you land to win. You get it, Tio? My niece and nephew call me Tio, it's uncle in Spanish. My parents were sharing a little plastic car. Austin, my 11-year-old nephew, was the bank and Olivia, my seven-year-old niece, was in control of the cards, the dice, and whose turn it is. Apparently, it was my turn, so I moved five uh, spaces ahead. Oh, Tio, you get married, Olivia cried. She grabbed a little pink peg and plugged it into the passenger seat next to me, the little blue peg driving. All the adults froze. <laughs> my brother and I stared at my sister-in-law, not sure what to do. Actually, Kim said, Tio gets another blue peg. I did not turn red in the face or look at my mom, who did not look at me, or turn red in the face, or look at my father, because we were all acting normal. <laughs> well, that's silly, Olivia said. Well, it's not silly, Livy. If Tio decides to get married, he'll marry another boy. <laughs> boys can't marry boys. <laughs> well, a man. He would marry a man, and, and yes, he can in some places. My niece looked at me and I smiled and nodded and then she lined up the two blue pegs in my car and we all continued the game. Olivia never uh, looked back and took her turn. Anyway, I think that's what I'm trying to say. Is Jay Adams Oaks. If his story gives you ideas for your own second story, we'd love to hear them. Please join us for our ongoing series at Webster's Wine Bar and the Morseland, or come to one of our upcoming special events. This October 15th, 16th, and 17th, join us at Next Theater for Parenting Without a Net. Visit our website for more details. Second Story Podcast is brought to you by Amanda Delheimer, Megan Steelstra, Shannon Sullivan, Mikhail Fixel, and Nick Kawahara. I am Miles Pulaski. 
Serendipity is funded in part by the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, the Illinois Arts Council, a state agency, the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, City Arts Grants, the Chicago Community Foundation, a part of the Chicago Community Trust, the Arts Work Fund, and listeners just like you. To find out more about Second Story, the performances, and our performers, or to make a donation, visit us at secondstory.com. Yeah.